Is your marriage getting worse instead of better? Has there been talk of separation, or is either spouse considering divorce? If any of these apply, then Love Reboot is your answer. Come join the hundreds of couples who were once in despair and headed for divorce, but are now experiencing a thriving, growing relationship after attending a Love Reboot weekend. Visit us at growinglovenetwork.org for more information on an upcoming Love Reboot workshop. Welcome to another episode of Relationship Rewire, where we talk about what's wrong and what's right with marriage and relationships in our world today. This episode is titled, What's Wrong with Adam Ruins Everything? And our guest is Gabby Powell. Okay, this is uh, episode uh, well, not episode two, but the second episode that we'll be doing with Gabby Powell. Hello. And if you didn't hear the previous episode with Gabby, I'm using Gabby more for like, she's what I'm going to call our social media guru. She's a an accomplished writer, uh, website developer, blogger. She's actually, she well, she developed our website, growinglovenetwork.org. And she's uh, continues to do things to help us out. And she's worked for Growing Love Network in the past. And she's also my niece. And so I am very proud of her. Might be a little biased, but I, I also think she's very cool and insightful. So that's why I have her on this program. In fact, it was her idea that, that got me thinking about having her on these podcasts when she said, Have you seen this show called Married at First Sight. You've got to see it based on what you do. So I watched that and I said, let's talk about that. So then we saw another show and it's called Adam Ruins Everything. Yes. And I said, hey, this looks like uh, has a lot of uh, kind of similar ideas and things that we were getting from Married at First Sight. So that's the one we're going to talk about today. And the reason we're talking about this is because these shows have a lot of influence on our, our culture, the way we think. Well, TV has a lot of influence. Some of it's good. Some of it's just erroneous. Mm-hmm. And Gabby and I were talking before we started recording here about, you know, everything, including this podcast, including Relationship Rewire, we have an agenda. So do all TV shows. There's an agenda. There's They're not just, just there to entertain you. The writers, the producers, they want a certain message to get across in that. And we've noticed that uh, there's, a, there's a certain, uh, for lack of a better term, humanistic uh, bent or lens that, uh, that might be behind some of the agendas in this. Now, if you're listening to this and you're of a humanistic bent, you may think, well, you're probably coming from a Christian or Christ follower uh, bent, and um, you might ha- have some ideas of that uh, I'm probably, well, I'm not even going to try to define myself for you, but 
I really hope uh, I try to get out of the box as often as I can, and I, that's one another reason why I have Gabby on here because we both realize that uh, if you just keep listening to reading. Uh, the, the things that support how you already think, you really don't learn and grow. Mm -hmm. So I hope if you uh, stumbled on this and you think, oh, um, this is going to be a Christian bent type podcast, although I am a follower of Christ and so is Gabby, uh, we think you might get something different that you might um, that might be helpful to you, but probably not the same old quote-unquote Christian party line kind of things yeah. that you might hear. We want we want everybody to think out of the box. We all want to grow. I want to grow. The only way I'm going to grow is to get out of uh, the stream of media that I usually wade in, yeah. if for lack of a better term. I don't think it's necessarily unwise to have an agenda or have a message. I think that what we were talking about is, is that what we're staying in? Or are we actually open to challenging it yes and that's that's what this podcast is i'm trying to challenge myself and others to look at things in a different way and especially well particularly marriage and relationships challenge accepted all right so let's go okay so in this one episode of adam ruins everything uh, each actually each episode is adam ruins something and this one is adam ruins weddings he starts off talking about Oh, let me see if I wrote this quote down here. Um, Weddings are displays of wealth. He's, I think he said, uh, I, I might be paraphrasing, displays of wealth or pretension of wealth mm -hmm. and a waste of time. What do you think about that? I think we added the, the um, pretending Yes. behind that because we talked about how most of the time we're actually trying to display what kind of person you are actually not a marriage at all okay so so you agree weddings are like seem to be more about trying to put a front up to your guests we uh, this is who I want people to think I am and not really about the relationship not a celebration of the relationship I mean, how many times have you seen a groom, like, super psyched about going to pick out the silverware for the reception? <laughs> uh, or yes. the flowers? Yes. When's the last time a groom gave a crap about the flowers? <laughs> <laughs> well, I do, um, I do premarital counseling. I'm working with two couples currently. Most of the time when I'm doing premarital counseling, it's, uh, it's in the, the two or three months running up to the wedding. Uh, very often we'll have a session. I try to have at least one session about three months after the wedding, the final mm -hmm. session. So we're usually, you know, I'm I'm working with these couples during the whole wedding planning time. And one of the things I will ask them about I'll, each week when they come to my office and I'll say, so tell me about your biggest argument this past week. Or let's say you don't argue much. Your biggest um, stressor. stressor between the two of you. And it's all, nine times out of ten, it's something about getting ready for the wedding. You know, who to put on the invitation list. How are we going to pay for that? Her mom wants it this way and my dad wants it that way. Those kind of things. Mm. So, yeah, it's it. You're, when you say how many times you've seen a groom get excited about the silverware, it does seem to become more about the event and it 
it being impressive than it does about being a celebration about that relationship and the start of a new family. Yeah, and I need to preface, it's it's not a bad thing to care about throwing a great party. I mean, I have a mommy of a wife who love throwing great parties and put lots of thought into detail. And when it comes down to it, you're trying to celebrate with the people that you love most. But what we were talking about is what are... What are we missing when we shift the focus from the couple preparing for marriage Mm -hmm. to a couple preparing to throw this party? Mm -hmm. So it seems like there's something there's because I've been to some simple weddings that were boring. I've been to some simple (laughs) weddings that are great. I've been to some expensive weddings that are boring, some that are great. But there seems to be that. Well, I'm not going to set you up on this. It seems to me that when the wedding budget keeps getting stretched, when they keep thinking we have to have this, we have to have that, so they start to get way over their means, that's when it really becomes problematic. Yeah. I mean, you know, we're talking about shifting focus. I've been to weddings where you almost feel awkward because it feels very cold and distant from the couple like the wedding is almost this third part of the couple like it's a disjointed like here's the couple and then here's the wedding like it's more statement about their parents yeah yes and i found that interesting that he even gave that statistic that i don't know who he was quoting but the more money spent on the wedding the higher the rate of the divorce yes that was really interesting to me the more money spent on the wedding and of course that could say uh, it could say about something about the people who spend a lot of money on yeah. divorce. I mean, on, on the wedding, uh, who think that's so important, um, might be a different mindset about marriage itself. Well, I, I, I was also thinking another reason for that may be is the more money you spend, the less money you have. Obviously, the less money you have, the more stressors because how are we going to pay this bill and that bill? So. Another thing that it does is it starts the marriage off under a lot of stress. So in, instead of this being an exciting time, uh, uh, you know, kicking off this new relationship and family, it becomes a burdensome mm. time for both of them. And they go into that honeymoon with how are we going to pay for all this and dealing with all the fallout from all of that. and they're not really able to enjoy fully and celebrate this this new union. I am so fortunate to have friends who have gone before me and newlyweds right now and going through this very stage. And it's already been something that they get back from the honeymoon and it's like, boom, life starts. And it's almost as if they were unprepared for how finances play into their marriage and they weren't prepared for necessarily how to deal with conflict mm-hmm. it, because they've been so focused on, on the happy part. Yeah. So. If you think, I don't, we don't need a big giant wedding. I'd like a nice wedding. I'd like a lot of my friends and family to be there. Mm-hmm. But mom and dad, you guys are focused on this being more about you and, and your friends and what people think of you than, than about us. How would you address that? I think that that's a huge moment of growing up. That's 
part of becoming an adult, I think that you and your future spouse need to sit down with your parents because while your parents might be looking through the lens of I'm your parent, what they maybe need to be preparing for is this is a new union of my adult child, mm-hmm. but it's not my child anymore. Um, this is their wedding. Right. Yeah. And this is their life and I'm sending them out into the world. Mm-hmm. And, and to be fair, I'm sure there's, there's a lot of people who overspend for weddings and that's really what they're trying to do. They're, they're trying to shower their children with a big blessing of a, yeah. of a memorable time. Uh-huh. But it's okay. more of how we interact with that in, in preparing for marriage. Yeah. So that's one of the first discussions that needs to happen <laughs> between the, 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 the engaged couple and their parents from the beginning is, hey, we, we appreciate your desire to throw us a big party, but we would rather have less stress. Okay. There's another thing that came along. Um, in this episode that we were going to talk about, he talks about this word that you and I know that probably a lot of our listeners don't know, limerence, which is actually the scientific term for romantic love or being in love. And uh, then he talks about soulmate. So what jumped out at you about that segment? For one, they play this clip where they've cut um, from dozens of um, romantic comedies or love stories from all different genres about the word soulmate or the one and then mash it up together. Yes, that was And it was hilarious. kind of overwhelming where afterwards I was like, oh my gosh, I mean, that's been infiltrated in our minds, this idea of the one. Yes. Um, and we hear, you hear people say, is it the one? Right. You know, right. If you're date, dating somebody, you think this is the one? Yeah. He's a one. You know? <laughs> um, but we've talked about previously before how by saying that my soul has one mate, I'm completely taking away God's design of me having a choice. Hmm. And I believe that we are always blessed with a choice. I'm. I'm blessed with the choice to be married and wake up the next morning and decide to be a partner to this person. And in the same breath, I have a choice in who I'm going to give my love to and who I'm going to love and actively love. Now, there's people listening to that that would probably say, wait a second. You don't think that if I've been praying my whole life, my parents have been praying for the person I marry, that that God's going to bring that person to me. Now... I remember my my parents praying over me as they tucked me in and saying this phrase over and over again night after night and please be preparing the one that God that John will marry. It didn't strike me till probably well into my marriage that what they were saying they weren't saying please help John find the one or please you know bring the one mm-hmm early into John's life before he makes a mistake and marries somebody that's not the one they they were saying please be preparing the one that he chooses absolutely and so I, a lot of people I think are concerned that oh wait my prayers are about a mate or to no avail no 
but they were they recognized God's not going to pick my spouse. I'm going to pick my spouse. I wonder how radical we would date differently if we asked God to bless our choice. Yes. And instead of saying like God bring me the one, what if we ask God please bless this person that I've chosen to bring into my life. I like that. And then even before that, please help me to not look in all the wrong places. Absolutely. Like if you, you've got to choose from a good, a good stock <laughs> yes, to yes. begin with. Please, please. In other words, don't, don't, don't even, uh, help me not even to go out with somebody that I know would not be the person I should marry. Right. Yeah, it's like I do believe in prayer when it comes to spouses. If we're in prayer and we're trying to follow Christ, then God is going to bring people into my life. Mm-hmm. Um, but some of those people are people that I'm supposed to minister to, kind of like the Good Samaritan. You know, it's not that I'm supposed to marry them, but I'm supposed to use my gifts and talents and yeah. mostly my love to to help move that person along and he's going to bring people in, in my life to do the same for me of course but so so god can bring some people also in into my life that he might be saying here here this would be a good one that'd be a good one but it's not necessarily like if i pick the wrong one that i'm doomed i just have this idea that god is the ultimate romantic and i think that we completely strip him of that title when we say out of the, what was it that Adam said? 3.5 billion, you know, options I have as my spouse. That's yes. one out there that I, I met on Tinder or I got set up on a blind date with or I, you know, made eye contact with at the bus stop that that person is who God mathematically designed to be my one mate. Yes. You know what is interesting about that? is the idea of a soulmate is kind of a secular idea. You know, it's, mm-hmm. I, I don't know if either, I can't think of scripture that talks about a soulmate. It's kind of a secular idea, but really it takes a lot of faith. If you're Absolutely. saying, if, if, you know, half the world is roughly the opposite sex, 3.5 billion people. I think the, uh, the statistic he threw out, it would take um, roughly 800,000 years statistically to find that soulmate. That's so intimidating. That's if we're, that's if we're meeting 10 new people of the opposite sex and a day. some days I don't even make it outside. <laughs> so, so... That's it's that's kind of interesting to believe that you have a soulmate. Then there, that's an element of faith because it, it would also mean no, you you got to break the statistics somehow to find that soulmate. The uh, way I look at it is, I can either believe that God is going to provide a man like bring a man. I'm not saying the man, but a man into my life that He has designed. Um, for me. I don't think he has one. Mm -hmm. I think he gives me that choice. Or I can trust myself to meet 12 new people a day and hopefully filter through that 3.5 billion. And so either way, I have to really believe in something. Mm -hmm. And as a 24-year-old that has a pretty cynical view on 
love and romance in today's culture, I've got to go with him. Sure, yeah, yeah. Another thing uh, about, uh, I don't know if he mentioned this, but I, there's a study that I read several years back. Um, I think it was done by Louisiana State University that said, uh, I think of, of single people between eight, ages 18 and 30, that 88% believed they had a soulmate out there. In other words, a person. There's just one person out there. And Adam says, he quotes some statistic in here that people who uh, believe they have a soulmate or the one couples who believe it yeah who believe it uh, they're statistically more likely to divorce than people who don't believe that but what so why does that appeal I think one reason it appeals the idea of a soulmate is that it takes away self-responsibility mm-hmm. if there's somebody out there that will for lifelong fully accept me as I am, then I don't have to grow. I don't have to learn to love. I don't have to mature. I don't have to get better at being a relator. I can just stay in an arrested state of development for the rest of my life, and I'm still going to be fully accepted and loved. Well, and even going back to what we talked about, Married at First Sight last episode, um, the individuals kept saying, you know, they were ready to meet this person, but it had nothing to do with beyond when they got married. Mm-hmm. And it, it's kind of a like, all right, well, I'm dropping the mic, found it, done. It's almost like a quest, but there's no like adventure that happens yes, after that. It's it. You're you know? all done. Now you just settle into the boring life. <laughs> so unappealing, though. Yes. You know, there's got to be yeah. more of that. Yes, there does have to be more. Uh, I don't. I don't, and I've said this, and I'll say it again here on this, at the risk of alienating some people, but I don't, I have not seen a good marriage that is less than three years old. So let me qualify. I know. I've seen some marriages that I think are going to be good, and they get along good now and everything, that are less than three years old, but they really... They have no idea what marriage is because they haven't been through a lot of crap together. Well, and, and they talk about limerence yeah. lasting, he he says here, up to three years. Yes, that would be the far end of the scale. From all the research I've seen, he says 16, uh, 16 months to three years. Yeah. The average is, is six to, I'm sorry, 18 months to three years. The average is six months to 18 months. Three years is kind of the far end of it. And that, that's, that's fairly rare. So do you think that marriage before that three-year mark is what you're talking about? A couple is still in limerence? Um, yes. Probably um, that's some of it. Most of the couples that uh, I have dealt with, they were pretty much past limerence by the time they got married. But some of them, you know, if they got married uh, six months after they met each other or started dating, right. you know, yeah, that's the case. But there's a thing that happens. They, they're typically already past the limerence, but now they've committed to each other. And they haven't really, all of the pathology that starts to creep in when you're not, when you're learning to relate, it hasn't really started to... Um, seep into every corner of their relationship and really poison everything. 
like things like power issues and and insecurities and stuff like that. So they haven't started. They haven't uh, had years and years of the bad habits that really destroy the relationship. So in those early years of marriage, they're they're kind of hey, isn't this is fun and exciting and new? And then they start realizing things they don't like about each other, and they start trying to change them. And then as they're trying to change each other, then they start liking each other less and less. So it, it usually takes a few years to where you go, wait a second, uh, I don't really like this person. I think I made a big mistake. I think I got married for the wrong reasons. I think I married the wrong person. And um, it's the commitment then that gets them through that part and helps them really start learning how to love. And when, I'm, when I say learning to love, I'm talking about how you behave, not how you feel. And that's that's something that's got to be learned. It's not something we're born. We're, we come out of the womb not loving. We come out of the womb fully selfish. You know, we learn. you learn to love. And you don't really l- learn to love in marriage without being married. It's not like something you just come, okay, I know how to do this. You have to, you know, so. Do you remember when that switch turned for you in your marriage with Angel? Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, it, it wasn't like a switch one day. Right. But uh, we'll go completely unselfish. So we were in Limerence and probably around, you know, that kind of, did we even explain Limerence? Yes, I did. I did define it, right? One of the reasons why I believe it's so important to use the term Limerence is because people call it in love, but Limerence is not love. Limerence is the illusion of being fully accepted and fully accepting the other person. It's the illusion of full acceptance. That illusion starts to go away with any two people once they start doing real life together. Mm-hmm. Once, um, so, uh, and and it's also a feeling. You know, it's it's a well, it's also a neurological interaction. It's the butterflies. To, yeah. So it 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 does go away. But um, what switched with me, uh, and it's continuing to switch. I, I guess it's more like a dimmer switch. You know, it's slowly <laughs> go. go slowly going from dark to light. But uh, about three years into our marriage, we didn't like each other anymore. And um, but we we went to a marriage seminar that lasted a few days, and and we started learning some stuff. And I, it started. I was going, oh. This is not at all what I thought was about. You know, it's about learning to love. And um, so I, st- I started learning some things and kept learning. And Joanne and I actually, after that first thing, we said, oh, okay, this is not just something that happens by putting the right two people together. I mean, that's the important part of it, but it's more, it's about, you know, to sound cliche, it's a journey and, and you're either growing or you're dying. You're either getting better at loving or you're getting worse. There's no stagnant relationship. And so we committed to doing something at least once a year, intentional, reading a book, taking a class, going to a seminar. Uh, we've even been to therapy together. So, so yeah, the, it's getting a little lighter and lighter all the time. But, oh, the, you know, after 31 years, I can say I'd rather be married to Joanna than anybody in the world. And I can't imagine not being married to her. If if God takes her before me, I, I'm pretty nervous about that. Mm. <laughs> okay, the third part. 
this is one boy we we're gonna have to try to crunch a lot in a short time but this is we so we both up until this point in this episode of of adam ruins everything most of it we were pretty on board with yeah and then he says divorce is good and then everything changed and everything everything changed. changed um one of the, you know, what's interesting about this show is when he he makes these statements that are counter-cultural, that are counter, you know... Uh, popular opinion. Popular opinion, yes, thanks. He, he then, to, as he's building his case, he will he will quote some kind of, uh, sci- some kind of research. Mm-hmm. And it'll usually give a reference to it up in the top uh, right-hand corner of the screen. So he says... Uh, Kids tend to do worse in high discord families, and he's using this. He there's another one I'll say in a second, but he uses this and this statement. In many high discord families, kids actually experience relief after separation. So these are the two, the only two pieces of evidence of, of data to say that divorce is actually good. What's wrong with that first? When kids tend to be to do worse in high discord families, I I don't feel like that's a statistic. I, I I'm like compared to what? Yeah. I, I mean, I I. You're basically creating a statistic that says humans are going to be humans when surrounded by humans. <laughs> I, I just it, it seems like such a duh statement. It, it, yeah. Yeah, it's broken from top to bottom. Yeah. And so. Of course, kids are going to do worse in high discord families than they would do in 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 families that get together, they get along well. Absolutely, and it even bothered me just how they played this out. They had, you know, a kid in the background while they're like stating this fact, who suddenly like smiles, and all I could think of is how offensive. That would be to, I have some great friends who are, you know, the product of, you know, divorced families. And I don't see any of them agreeing with that statement or the way it was presented. Well, we work with a lot of people of divorced families and I haven't ever, I've heard probably three say, I think it was good for my parents to get a divorce, but the vast majority were like, um, no, it was, it was such a huge thing that continues to scar me and hurt me. Mm-hmm. But even the ones who think it was a good idea, if you ask them, and I have asked the ones, if your parents would have learned to get along with each other absolutely, and stay married, would you be enough for that? Oh yeah, sure. Absolutely. And another thing is I will ask them, well, did divorce make them start getting along together? And that's one of the biggest fallacies in this statement is Wait a second. If if your parents don't get along, how does divorce all of a sudden make them get along? What changes in their way they do things that mm. make them be nicer to each other? And Adam in there, he says divorce finally brings people freedom. And to me, I'm like, doesn't it just complicate? Doesn't it just tangle up more chords? As a matter of fact, now, you know, the whole... You're now a team. That's just broken into two, and it's almost all of the things that you were going to do in life as one have suddenly become this like dual argument. 
And yeah, I just don't know how divorce teaches individuals how to get along better. For example, if two parents disagree on how to raise the kids, and so they think, okay, divorce is the answer. Well, if they each go out and find a new spouse or a new mate, mm-hmm. so now you you don't have just two people trying to agree that don't. Now you got four different opinions on how to raise the kids. How does that make it easier? There's actually, in fact, I've got over there on the bookshelf, uh, a book called The Unexpected Legacy of Divorce that was done by um, four different uh, researchers, mostly at uh, universities. Well, one of them, University of Berkeley, the, the lady that heads it up uh, in California. And this was a 30-year study about divorce. And the reason they titled, she titled this book uh, the Unexpected Legacy is because we know uh, this is what's so interesting. They don't quote in this all the overwhelming statistics that say that divorce is by and large a deficit for children. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, uh, it affects them negatively. We know you, just from looking at the, um, the, census, the census data that comes out every 10 years, we know going back to when it was first being taken that children of divorce as a conglomerate, fare much worse than children of intact marriages. So uh, that was just th- what he's saying there in those two statements is thrown out the window by by that by that research. Now, are there exceptions to that? Yes, I'm sure there are exceptions, but we don't live by the exceptions to the rules. Well, and it kind of goes back to what we were saying that every show has an agenda and a script, and yeah. it was it became very clear at this point in the show that. This is for shock value. They're going to definitely shade some of the facts that they're going to present. And they're going to cherry pick the ones that we're not expecting. And the writers probably were people who've had more than one marriage themselves and uh, <laughs> yeah and have told <laughs> themselves that, that I'm that I'm doing the, the good thing for the kids mm-hmm. by by this divorce that's that was the way they justified it. Well this this research by um, uh, Judith Wallerstein in in the unexpected legacy of divorce um, she she is a like I said or was I'm not sure if she's still teaching but a professor at University of Berkeley which I bring that up because we don't think of that as the bastion uh of Family Values <laughs> Learning Center, right? But what they found is that the children whose parents had a bad relationship with each other but stayed married fared better than the children whose parents had a bad relationship with each other and got divorced. Hmm. And that's the... Big thing that they got out of this is that that was such a wow for them. Now, there's they go into explaining a lot of that, but the big reason is if you think about it, two parents that don't get along, divorce doesn't make them get along. They still have to co-parent the children. So the children are still going to see them arguing and fighting and still be in stress whether the parents are married or not. They have to see it on a daily basis, and, yeah. but and in fact, it's actually turned up. The volume is turned up say, on that probably because there's yeah, there's more stressors now. They have two sets of bills: uh, house mortgages and electricity bills, and all that stuff. Now there's more um, just uh, strategic. Uh, what I can't think of the right word. Just the dynamics of of dealing with life from two different home fronts as opposed to one, you know, getting the kids to here and there and who's going to pick them up. There's, there's added stressors. So that's not going to make things 
better. So yeah, we just we both had a huge. Anything else that you had a problem with that on? Oh. No. <laughs> no. Well, I want to ask you a question. Go. Okay. From from what we've been talking about and from that episode, what for somebody who is uh, not married yet and who would like to be married someday, and what what do you think is the most important thing that you got out of that that they you would hope that they would get out of this? I feel really fortunate to have known about limerence way before even watching this episode, but the idea that those butterflies and those feelings being things that will go away at some point was something that changed the way that I approached a relationship and the way I operated because if I am aware that what I'm feeling is a feeling then that means I can better prepare for how I want to be in a relationship after it goes away. Uh. And what am I like actually founding my my love for someone, my actioning love, what am I basing that off of? And if I'm basing it off of a feeling, then I prepared for what's underneath it when it goes away. Okay, good. Yeah. But now, didn't you grow up hearing some old farts saying yes it's the feelings will go the honeymoon feelings will go away and to some extent going yeah you're just saying that because you don't like your marriage absolutely but again i bring in my personal experience where i i've seen parents who have gone through the highs and lows mm-hmm. and it takes more than feelings to carry you through a marriage, to carry you through those trials. There has to be some kind of commitment, which completely goes to what you were saying about the research that a couple who stayed together, even if they were still arguing. Yes. Did we kids, mention that in the last one? You just one? said that. Okay, the yeah. kids fare oh, better. One, yeah. And because when I think you see commitment, commitment over, you know, um, overshadowing the feelings and and that's what a kid thrives on and that's what I thrive on yeah so to some extent you did when you heard people say oh the feelings will go away you didn't believe it but learning about limerence then that made you go okay it's not just what old timers who say you got to stay committed well, it's a scientific yeah. thing, too. It, it makes sense. And I've been in a relationship, and I saw the shift. And I saw how I had to change being in a relationship. I couldn't depend on feeling that anymore. So you lived it out yourself. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Cool. So, question for you. Sure. In your research, I mean, this is what you do for a living, so I'm expecting a good answer. Okay. I'll, is there I'll do my best. <laughs> is there any validity to Adam's statements about divorce being good? Is there any any redemption that divorce provides people or for kids? You know, I liked that they brought up um, the thing about how, and, and we didn't talk about this, but he talked about uh, 
that Reagan introduced it in the 60s to when he was the governor of California, mm-hmm. the no-fault divorce, and then eventually every state adopted that. And that's when we had the big boom in divorce rate. I also like that he mentioned that, that contrary to popular opinion, the divorce rate has never reached 50%, and it actually keeps going down. And uh, that's important for people to understand, too. We talk about that in, in another episode with Shanti Feldhahn, if you want to go back and listen to that. Um, but I, I like that he, that he mentions about the no-fault divorce because there are people. Some people think, John, do you don't think anybody should divorce? I'm going to answer that the best I can to how I think Jesus did and would in the context of today's culture. God hates divorce, but God also hates people beating each other up physically. Yeah. I would not ever tell somebody whose spouse is beating them to stay in there and take it and turn the other cheek. I don't think Jesus would either. Now, I, I don't necessarily believe that divorce will keep that person from beating you either. You, what you've got to do to keep someone from beating you is remove their ability to do so. I don't mean take them out. I mean, right. you've got to go and get away from that person. Um, but so, yes, I think that there are some exceptions that probably God would even say, yes, that's better that they're not married anymore. The thing is, those are I, I can't. I can't even think of one of those off the top of my head. I have seen some marriages where I thought these two people should not have been married to each other in the first place. But there are a lot of people out there who have no business being married to anybody in their current state of being. Of being. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, they don't. They don't have a soulmate because because they're not ready to be a soulmate. And um, uh, I think being a soulmate is more about becoming a soulmate than finding the right person. I, I like mm-hmm. that. I still like the term soulmate. In fact, I'm writing a book that I'm thinking I'm going to call it soulmate. I like the term. I just don't think of it in the same sense as our culture, as in that one out of three and a half billion people kind of thing. And I believe, like you do, that I can many different people could have been my soulmate. And if Joanna happened to... Uh, die tomorrow and I'm only 52 I'm hoping that there's another soulmate out mm. there for me because I, I it's married life is so much better than single life in my opinion <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm not sure if I'm answering your question but here's what I see I see when somebody is tired of for whatever reason of following through on their commitment to, to their spouse mm that they go looking for a reason to justify their divorce. And 99 out of 100 reasons I've ever heard are not good reasons. They're not reasons they would have used before they started getting tired of their spouse. Do you feel like this episode, his statements were trying to justify all the reasons that our culture gives? Yes, I think so, yeah. I think... I believe also that any marriage can be a wonderful marriage. If um, even if just one person starts to grow, 
Because if, if, um, if I choose to start really learning how to love and start putting into practice um, Christ's love for me to my spouse, then our relationship is going to change for the better, no matter if she decides to, to grow or not. Mm. Thank goodness I've got somebody who's a lot more focused on growth, <laughs> personal growth than I am. <laughs> and, it, and it does a lot better job at loving than I do. Mm. So, it, it, yeah, it's easy for me to say. I could go off on that so much more, but we're way out of time. And it's been so much fun, <laughs> as usual. I can't wait till next time, Gabby. Thank you. Relationship Rewire is produced by Growing Love Network. Growing Love Network exists to revolutionize our culture for lifelong love. You can find us on the web at growinglovenetwork.org. We welcome your feedback on this and any of our podcasts. Drop us an email at relationshiprewire at gmail.com. That's relationshiprewire at gmail.com. Is your church or organization looking for a course that doesn't just provide information, but actually transforms marriages and relationships? Then visit us at growinglovenetwork.org to see how our Growing Love course can work for you. Growing Love has been chosen by the state of Texas as a Together in Texas course, and it's also recommended for engaged couples.